0: Here comes home The Braves are champions of the Southern League. It's over. And the lefty Garcia. There's a swing and a deep drive, left field. Dean will look up, and it's long gone to the back of the Braves bullpen. Dansby Swanson, a solo home run. I got chills from that one. Ronald
1: Acuna with a monster shot. Over the hitter's eye
0: and straight center field. Swinging a ground ball to the middle. base hit center field. Coming in to score is Desloni. And that's a Mississippi praise winner. And welcome in, everybody, to the Big Show Podcast. It is 5.49 p.m. on what is supposed to be opening night for the Mississippi Braves against the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. But no baseball tonight. Weather, inclement weather, and a lot of damage around the Jackson area has caused the game to be postponed. So we'll play a doubleheader on Thursday and normal opening night on Wednesday night. And I've got a guest today joining me to co-host the podcast. We're going to talk about our feelings because we were getting ready to do a pregame show for tonight's game. First game in 600-plus days. Chris Garagiola. He is the voice of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Chris, good to see you. Chris Squared here. You know, you had to imagine something like this was going to happen after the 2020 we, uh, we survived
1: i'm 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 not making this up when I say that I woke up this morning. I didn't check the weather at all, and the first thought that popped into my head was, yeah, we're probably gonna get rained out, not for any knowledge like I said that's not some, a pretty
0: negative like uh mentality, man,
1: but that's just because of like you said everything we, like it would be a it's a funny joke to whatever being you might believe in where it's like oh your your season's canceled last year. It's been probably the worst year of your life, barring some unique circumstances. Wouldn't it be kind of funny if on the day they're supposed to get back to work, we have a rain out? Boom. And then it just rained all pretty much all
0: day up until now. It's been a long day, obviously. Every, every opening day is is a tedious job because there's so much to do, and especially this year when you didn't have last year, you're having to re-remember a lot of different things, making sure a lot of different things work. And, I mean, it was a, we were pushing it today. Uh, I mean, I was up here at 5.30 this morning for uh, TV coverage, which TV coverage we had today was phenomenal. And, you know, it just stinks that we can't play today. We, we have probably the most palpable energy, I think. And I think it, it goes for, for you guys and most teams around minor league baseball to get back to the ballpark, get some sense of normalcy. But it's just weird. Here we are getting ready for what would have been first pitch and no game tonight. Two great teams, uh, two rosters that are pretty much stacked when it comes to prospects. We were looking to see the professional debut of Max Meyer, the third overall pick from last year's draft. You got Shea Lang-Alier's, uh catcher, the number nine pick in 2019, uh, hitting cleanup for the Embrace So there was a lot to look forward to. We just, I, I see it this way. And I posted something on, uh, on our Facebook page about being undefeated for now 612 straight days. You know, it adds one more day, but... I think we can handle it. We had to wait a long time. So, <laughs>
1: maybe I'm wrong. Time times times all relative in this sort of thing. But I I mean I agree with you. When you prepare tedious is the right way to describe it for people who've actually worked a minor league opening day. Maybe it's the same thing in the major leagues as well, but it's not meant to be a negative thing where sometimes you think of tedious as annoying. There's just a lot of little things because and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, you just go in your head through all the things that could go wrong because you want to prepare yourself. And it's been a long time. And when, when we're, I promise you, when we're at the end of June and we've knocked out like 45, 50 of these games, you, you could do it in your sleep. Oh, for sure. Set up the equipment, for throw sure. it in the bag, get on the bus and all that. Or Doing your car. game
0: notes, all that kind of stuff. It becomes old hat.
1: But I remember a couple nights ago finishing the game notes like you talked, but just sitting down going, what do, I, what do I put on here? <laughs> what do, what do, I don't even remember what I write anymore. Like, what do we say? And so I wish we were back, like you said, because, you know, I love doing this. Yeah. I was thinking about it when I was driving over. I was, I was getting a, a little bit emotional because it, it just, it's hurt a lot to not do this for, what, 600 plus days? Yeah. Like, this is, this is all we wanted to do. This is the best part of the job right here. All this stuff, all the tedious things that you do, it pays off for actually sitting down, sure. going over the airwaves, and calling a baseball game. And when they said, we're just canceling the season, it, it took a long time for that to really register. And I think it was when I was driving over, I realized you know, how much that really hurt.
0: I think the first time I kind of felt that was when I got the lineup cards. I think that you know seeing names on a, on a lineup card for the first time in a long time, and you know, seeing some players' names that you were you're hoping to see and are, and are highly regarded for for both you guys and for us, I think that was the biggest thing. I mean, I've had three hours sleep in the last forty hours or so, so you know, that's part of it, though. I mean, that's what that's what you sign up for. That's what what you do. One thing we got to talk about, though, is the protocols because everything we're used to doing, our jobs, is different. Now, actually, you and I are both in different situations. You are considered a covered individual where you're getting tested twice a week and are allowed to to travel with the team and be around the team. I am not uh, considered a covered individual with the Braves, so I cannot have any face-to-face contact uh, with the team, with our team, or travel with them. So I'll have to go separately uh, on the road. So everything we are doing is different through Zoom. We had a Zoom media day uh, yesterday. You guys had a Zoom media day on Sunday. It's just, I think that's what kind of makes it a little bit strange is because everything we're used to doing, you're used to making several trips to the clubhouse every day to deliver stuff, to get information, to grab an interview, and, and that's just not happening this year.
1: Well, and I think that that's one of the real perks about working at this level. I mean, there's a lot of things that are difficult, but the access that you have to coaches and players, that's how you find the good stories and that's how you forge the relationships that you carry on for, you know, long beyond whether you make it to the next level in broadcasting or, or whether you kind of finish your career in the minors. And, you know, it, it was it was concerning when I saw the rules implemented at the major league level where, media members couldn't be around for batting practice anymore, right? They basically had to stay off the playing surface. And that was the first signal that they were limiting access between media and players. And I'm not saying this is anything like that because it's part of the health and safety protocols. And, you know, it does seem like fortunately we might be closer to the end and with all the vaccines going out and, and and things like that. But it's just, it it's really hard for, know, yourself and a lot of the the guys and and girls who are broadcasting that don't that don't even have the choice, that can't have any of that access. And when you're starting a new season, I think it's just so important to be able to introduce yourself and, and, you know, let the coaches and the players kinda know who you are and in a year where we've had so many challenges, it's just it feels like they just keep piling on and you know, this is another one.
0: You know, it's one of those things where you don't know where the line is. You don't necessarily know if, if that's kind of going overboard or not. And you totally understand the fact that you want these guys to be in a bubble and stay healthy. I know our guys are in the process of getting ready to get their second vaccination. Um, I'm not sure about you guys, but that's going to be a process as the season goes on and the magic number it seems for most organizations is 85 percent if they can get to 85 percent of vaccinations and some of those you know strict guidelines or strict restrictions will start to go away and and that's that's the goal and what you hope to do but I mean the main thing is just seeing these guys on the field and and I think you know sometimes I have some conversations with season ticket holders who who might not be happy about something or another but you got to kind of take a step back and realize that 30,000 foot view of where you are and take baby steps to get to back to where you want to be. And it's one of those things where when you're in the moment, you don't really realize it. When you take that step back, you can you understand why. And even though it's, it's a little bit frustrating at times.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing is, is sometimes you have to remind those folks, uh, listen, I'm not the one writing the rules here. I'm not making the decisions. I, no. I'm not, I'm not on those meetings with the CDC.
0: So I'm just doing well, what I'm told. And, and one big thing this year is it's a double whammy for for every team because not only are you having to deal with the COVID stuff, but you're having to deal with now MLB being your governing body instead of, you know, Pat O'Connor and, and minor league baseball. You're, you're dealing with an entirely different structure of how to operate things. So you're not only going to to all the Double A South type leagues out there, but you're dealing with this as well and, and, and a lot of times it's and it's nobody's fault but you don't know who to contact for, for what. Like tonight we get postponed by rain. Who do I email about that now? You don't send the form into the league office anymore because the league office isn't there anymore. You know, who do you do this? You know, how do you do that? How do you put in probable pitchers on the website now? You know, it's it's it, it, it it's all different. I think that's one thing that's caused some stress. And like you said, two months from now we'll be in 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 good shape, it'll be old hat, and we'll be laughing about about this. But I want to talk about strange opening days because I've had some strange ones over the course of my career. Uh, A lot of them happened in Mobile. But I remember my first opening day back in 2009, it was similar to this. We had tornadoes and had to go down to the tunnel in Montgomery. We were playing the Montgomery Biscuits. And then obviously in 2015, I had the 54-game road trip. Where we played those games on the road, our first home game was actually as the home team was in Jacksonville, Florida. Then we played 15 games in Huntsville, Alabama. Eventually, got to uh, to MGM Park in in uh, June 6th of 2015. So, opening days have not necessarily been uh, favorable <laughs> in my career. So it's it's no ad to me. But do you have any strange opening opening day stories? I just remember my or, first, or with your, your grandfather even.
1: Uh you know. If, you, if you're going back on the entire life, I mean, if we're going in reverse order here, my first opening day was 2017. You know, I was a number two at that point. I was still working for Tommy Thrall, and I just remember shout out. that. Right, shout out to the homie. Uh, Reds might have been postponed also due to rain. He's yeah. in
0: the big leagues, gra- uh, basking in the big league life, and we're sitting here in Pearl, Mississippi. Hey, he he, can't hey, I'm travel happy either. Be- you know what I mean? It's I'm it's- happy to be. Here. That was not a slight, but man, he's, he's a good he's friend a great, of ours. He's he, a good friend. He is a good guy and he has deserved everything he's gotten.
1: And he just, he had to pull me aside about an hour before first pitch because he wanted to know if a, a member of my family had passed away. That's how nervous and pale I looked <laughs> in anticipation of the first yeah. broadcast in which I was only calling three innings. But I just remember I, w- I, for days, you know, I just had like my stomach twisting in knots, but other opening days, I mean, I remember not that it's opening day, but my first game on the road was in Mobile, and Tyler Malley threw a perfect game. Oh, that's right. First time ever going on the road, we went to the you know the Hank, God love Hank Aaron Stadium,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know first and, and Malley. It's funny because when he had pitched the first week of the season, Malley had retired the first I think twelve batters. Before somebody got on base, so we weren't totally surprised when it was 12 up, 12 down again. But then we went through the fifth, and then the sixth, and then when he got through the seventh, was was when you know a lot of people started reaching out to us, hey, what's going on here? We need updates. We need photos. If if he goes the distance, and that's when you know he got really excited, and I started getting nervous again because I was like, oh man, here we go, perfect game alert. And then he he managed to to pull it off, and that was. You know, really something special. And to think, you know, my first year working in the minors, I'll see something that I probably – I may never see again in person. So that was always kind of funny. And I don't really remember it, but, you know, I was there for the first night of the Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, that inaugural season in 1998. I was just a kid. I think I fell asleep in the third inning because they had all these, like, festivities and ceremonies beforehand. There's, like, a big presentation. There's, like, this – It's like a glass trophy looking thing, almost looks like a building where it's like, this is your plaque to suggest that you are now a major league team. And and that was really cool. You know, Bud Selig was there and whatnot, but I think we got smoked by the Rockies that night and uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely cool, but I can't say I really remember it all that well, unfortunately.
0: By the way, Biloxi Birmingham also uh postponed tonight as well. So <laughs> we're not the only one.
1: I think there's only one game this, that's gonna this, be played. This is
0: a terrible start to the AA A South. I mean, come on. Montgomery and uh Tennessee already
1: postponed their game. so, oh,
0: so three games.
1: That's three wow. three out of four games. Who's who's left?
0: You got Rocket, Rocket City.
1: Rocket City and uh Oh I can't think Chattanooga? Of, yeah. Rocket yeah. City
0: Chattanooga. That's the only one left. We were actually supposed to open Toyota Field last year Mm -hmm. in April of 2020 and now we don't even play them this year brutal brutal you you guys don't play Tennessee Biloxi never plays Chattanooga out of 120 games I'll never understand that one but I hope Rockett City play I'm I'm really I'm legitimately happy for those staffers those fans I spent time in Huntsville great people they were just itching for a brand new start you know going out of joe davis stadium uh which had become a relic basically so you know good for them i i I hate i won't be able to to see them or, or see that ballpark this year but i'm happy for those for those folks up there
1: it's funny because i think in the 2020 schedule we were supposed to go there pretty early on in the year And that gave me a little angst just because whenever you have a new stadium, it's impossible to know sort of what what's working and what's not working until you have, you know, a sellout crowd and a full full media access. And, you know, you you test your Internet, you test your facilities. Sure. And to your point, uh, you know, obviously season was canceled last year and we finished the year up in Rocket City. So the last thing wow. I'll do in 2021, in terms of the season, is head it. up to Huntsville, yeah. and then once we play that last game, well, it's just uh, pack up your stuff and go.
0: I mean, I remember when we opened MGM in in 2015. I mean, literally, we've been on a 54 game road trip, and I hadn't seen my apartment in two and a half months. Yeah, and I was coming into a ballpark that I hadn't seen completed, mm-hmm. and, and walked into the press box at like 6 a.m. after we got in from a bus trip from from Birmingham at four, and. But it was crazy. I mean, we played 14 innings that night. Uh, Nick Shaw hits an RBI uh, base hit that scores Brent Souter, a pinch runner. Uh, shout out to uh, the Raptor uh, to, to open that ballpark in, in the rest of history. But uh, quickly, let's talk about our teams real quick. Let's give the folks kind of a preview of, of, of what Pensacola, the Blue Wahoos, are this year, those Miami Marlins uh, prospects. First off, this is the third affiliate now for the Blue Wahoos. You were, of course, originally with the Cincinnati Reds, with the Twins for two years? One year. Just one year. Just the with, 2019 season. One year with, with the Twins, and now you're with the Miami Marlins, which makes a, a lot of sense geographically with Jacksonville now being the AAA affiliate. But how's that How's that transition been? It seems like it's been fairly flawless, but there it has to have some challenges. Yeah, I mean, I there's nothing I can point out where
1: you'd say this hasn't gone well, but as you can attest, there's just so many things that happened in the last four months where the answer is I don't know who's our affiliate I don't know have we signed our contract? I don't know um, yeah. you know when things became official official and it's you know you were at the Marlins now this is how it's gonna be okay, we can plan for that and start preparing and trying to make those connections and it it's been a really I think seamless transition from that point. Um, but like you said, you know, geographically it makes a lot of sense. It just it, it stings a little bit because you know you, we got to know the Reds people for a long time. Sure. Some great folks over there, and and ultimately it was a business decision. It, yeah. But okay, we get to know the Tommy Thrall
0: is a perfect example of that relationship between the Wahoos and the Cincinnati Reds.
1: Oh, absolutely, and
0: it his re- talent and that relationship.
1: It just seemed like with the Twins, this was the start of something really solid. You know, our owners and their owners, they they seem to click very well. Um, our front office with the Blue Wahoos had some strong connections with the Minnesota Twins, especially for us on the PR side of things with Dustin Morris and his entire staff. I mean, he is—I mean, as good as it gets at the Major League level. And so to come out of that basically saying, "All right, we're going to make this change," it's nothing against the Marlins. It's just like you know, it—you would have liked to see those relationships play out a little bit more, as you, because we just gotten to know them. I mean, we're just fledgling status, but it's a new year. And it's a new opportunity. And like I said before, so far, so good with those guys. They've been fantastic. And on paper, it looks like we have a, a pretty balling team. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard anything about maybe a, a reduction in roster moves this year compared to have, years yeah. past. So mm-hmm. the fact that we might have some really high caliber prospects for longer than maybe usual, sure. I think that's something to get excited about.
0: I think it is because, you know, those those... Those roster moves get so so tedious, but with the twenty-eight man roster instead of twenty-five, uh, the new development list, which is basically the taking over of the phantom phantom injured list, I know we have some guys on that. We're, we can't reveal their names, but we have some guys on that. But it's kind of like your your taxi squad, basically. Exactly, and I think we'll see a
1: lot of these changes. You know, you, you talk about Pat O'Connor at the old minor leagues, and and. How there's so many Shout questions out. that we still have. I, we're name dropping, you yeah. know, this entire thing. But um, I think that even though it's kind of a work in progress, you know, Major League Baseball, as the as the problems are presented to them, they come up with the solutions. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take some time to smooth out all the wrinkles oh, because sure. it's, it's a lot of work just to get the Major League season going with all the health and safety protocols, let alone to then adopt, you know, what, 120 minor league teams? Yeah all across the country. So it's a lot for them to do. It's not an easy job. And I think that, you know, we'll be in a lot better place next year than now. But again, uh, some of the changes we're already seeing, they kind of make sense.
0: They do. Yeah. From geographical uh, points of view and, you know, player development points of view, they absolutely make sense. We've we've experienced, both of us for, for a long time, some of the travel woes and travel just not comprehensible of why certain things are happening, certain game times, you know, traveling, you know, 400 miles and playing the next night. Um, you know, one thing I, I think that they'll have to address is having a home game for, for every team, at least on July 3rd or July 4th. I think that's, that's just, that has to happen just yeah, because absolutely those, those dates keep a lot of teams floating, having that 4th of July crowd. Um, Max Meyer. Pro debut in A. The last guy I remember having a pro debut in A that I had was Josh Fields, a pitcher coming out of Georgia that had some time in the bullpen with the Los Angeles Dodgers last I had heard. But he made his debut. He was a relief pitcher, though. He was a big-time closer coming out of Georgia. But Max Meyer, tell me, tell me what you expect from him. And, and, I mean, he's the third overall pick. You know, it's still a big jump. It's hard to say. And I like the points that
1: you brought up because it's not like we've never seen this before. Not that it was an immediate jump from college to Double A, but you know, a guy who was in your opening day lineup, mm-hmm. Braden Schumake,
0: true,
1: made a pretty quick jump he from did. Texas A and M, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, to you know the Mississippi Braves, and of course he spent a month in Rome. Okay, you yeah, know, it's a, it's a little bit of time, but but he was still here pretty soon after, and then of course. I think when you're talking about the ultimate jump, a guy like Brandon Finnegan, who yeah. wasted no time going from college to get to the Royals and was on that postseason roster. Right. So and you could go back in history and find other guys. But what I expect, again, we've had such limited interactions with the players, right. but he does not seem like someone who is very intimidated. He kinda has this alpha dog attitude. And it might rub some people the wrong way, you know, early going because here's a kid who just got here and has not pitched a single inning in pro ball. But from a talent evaluation standpoint, that's kind of what you want to see. You don't want to see a young player get overwhelmed or dwell too much on where am I going to be, what does this mean if I'm not put on this level or that level. And it's, it's the easiest to evaluate the tools, right? I mean, it's a power arm from the right side, 95, 98 miles per hour. Command of three pitches. The third one is still requiring a little bit more fine-tuning, but serviceable, I think, for the double-A level. That's why he's here. And ultimately, I think what the Marlins want to do is they just want to test their young pitcher. Because, listen, if he gets hit around or struggles a little bit, okay, you give him time to figure it out. No problem. But because he's a college-darm, which is a theme you'll see with a lot of pitchers on this roster. Right. Like I said, you're playing with house money. If he pitches well, it's not like you're going to rush him up because, like we said, it's just hard to make roster moves right now with the health and safety protocol. So he's going to get that seasoning. But think about what that will do from a confidence standpoint. If in his professional debut, in his first year in pro ball, you go right to double-A and you're putting up results, Mm -hmm. that is how you fast-track your way to the big leagues, and that's what the Marlins want. They don't want to have this... You know, expedited 60-game season that results in them making the playoffs for the first time since 2003 and then finishing fourth place for the next five seasons. Right. They want to win. They believe they can win now. And the only way they're going to do that consistently is through the production of Meyer and then the production of a guy like J.J. Bledet.
0: Thoughts on J.J. Bledet?
1: Been a while since I've been this excited about... An offensive player. I didn't know a ton about the Twins going into it, and Alex Kirilov. As excited
0: as you got, that kind of frightened me. As it, excited as you just you just got, to be honest with you.
1: He, first off, he's got the kind of I told my dad. It's like you get, in the photo that I saw from uh, one of the few practices. He's got the forearms you'd want a bouncer to have in front of like a New York club, because I mean it's strong. Power's legit, and the hit tool is as good as I've seen, again, from a prospect in the limited time that we had. The first guy that jumps out to my mind, who you know fairly well, is Nick Senzel, mm-hmm. what he was able to do when he got here. Another yeah. advanced college bat, early first-round pick, SEC, and... A great...
0: I was more impressed with almost his glove <laughs> and then, I mean, he's unbelievable. than his bat. I mean, when he got to this level, he was, was like Scott Rowland over there. And so, Blade
1: going into the year is a top 20 prospect in all of baseball Mm -hmm. and has the chance, I think, to, to really be the best hitter at this level to start the year. I mean, we'll obviously see the adjustments he'll have to make, but just listening to him in interviews, very thoughtful, very articulate and kind of understands the science of hitting. And so I just can't envision him being mired in a 10 to 12 game slump like he might have a series where he struggles but he seems like the type of player that afterwards will sort of maybe look at the tape or just look at the hitting reports post game and think okay you know what Mm -hmm. this is what guys were trying to do this is what I was trying to do these are the adjustments I have to make next time I face them and I'm good to go he's not going to sort of hang his head on it like you see some younger inexperienced players and and that's where a lot of guys get caught up at this levels when things go south they just can't get out of their own head, and I, I don't worry about that with Bladé, who, mind you, national champion, all college World Series team in 2019, SEC Player of the Year, SEC Tournament MVP. So the credentials are there. Now it's just a matter of being yeah. consistent and staying out of his and, own and, way. And
0: the percentage of him, you know, turning out to be the player, and I I, I do the same thing, or in my head with with Shea Langilleers. I um, also. I go back to – and I'm not – in any way, I want this is a separate conversation than talking about him, but one guy that comes to mind that came out of college that was on my West 10 Diamond Jacks team back in 2010 just was the number two overall pick in the draft by the Seattle Mariners, Dustin Ackley, out of North Carolina. He was the player of the decade in college baseball. Player of the decade. Pretty good, and and I love Dustin, and and you know he is one of the hardest workers you'll ever come. But come to see, but he struggled so much. He went straight to double A. He went straight to double A as a hitter, which you know you see that a little bit more. But nothing's a guarantee, even when you get to this level, and and, and you know you just never know. But let's talk about our, my team real quick. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited yeah. about.
1: Am I pronouncing that correctly? Langoliers, yeah. Because I think it's so rare to see top prospects who are Mm. catchers that are effective hitters. And to me, we always talk... I learned this from a few scouts interning with the Reds one year. We talk about the diamond a lot. If you can build quality, productive hitters from center field, shortstop, second base, and the catcher's position, that diamond, Mm -hmm. you are going to be able to build a winning ball club pretty quickly. And the Braves when they were at their peak had some pretty solid catching whether you're looking at it the mid-90s the 2000s I mean Brian McCann for you know most people our age that's kind of the guy you think of but sure historically Atlanta again when things are going right it's solid pitching which the Braves have now and we've seen in Mississippi forever and then you got this catching prospect coming along and I think he has a chance to to kind of be an everyday backstop for you know eight to ten years at some point
0: yeah he's really he's really good and I mean, he threw out over 50% of base stealers at Baylor. Uh, his final season there, his junior season, and I he mean, led the Atlanta Braves team. Granted, it was, was not a ton of at-bats, but he led the entire Atlanta Braves spring training roster in 2020 in batting. He had 426. I mean, the guy knows how to hit. And, and one thing I'm curious about, and something that, that you'll be able to watch during the series, is the Braves have gone to this knee-down catching, where you put that one knee down... And you hike that leg out. That is now something that everybody is being taught in the minor leagues with the Atlanta Braves. I talked with Ryan Castile, who is going back to catching actually in Gwinnett. Wow. And he said he loves it. He said, My knees have been worn out. One reason why he became a first baseman. He said, I love it. And I'm trying, I was t- in the text conversation, I was trying to just get him to explain it to me but they like the way that it puts you in an athletic position to block balls. Plus take the bottom portion of the strike zone as well. They think they can frame pitches a lot better there.
1: That was my understanding. You know, it's a framing thing when you're getting that support kind of from the lower part of your body, it's almost like your leg acts as a backstop for the rest of your body. So when you have that glove out there, very minimal movement in the bottom part of the strike zone. Mm -hmm. So it's that tiny little tweak instead of before, when you think about a normal catching position, because the weight is kind of in the upper part of your chest, as you lean down and grab that pitch, you're really rolling your wrist and snapping it back up. And umpires just, they see that much movement. And even if it's a strike, they're not going to give it to you. The only concern I have about that is kind of with base stealing, but here's the thing. You look at base stealing numbers across major league baseball for the last 10 years and people just don't run. They just don't run like they used to. So it's not that big of a threat. And like I was watching the Rangers and the White Sox, or not the Rangers, excuse me, the the Twins and the White Sox last night, and Brett Roarvet was was catching. He was a former Blue Wahoo, runner on at first base, and he had that leg out position as well mm-hmm. because it was more important just be able to frame up those pitches. And I don't know. I I think people might be onto something. So definitely curious to see it in this series.
0: Shea had never done that before. He said he kind of liked it in the spring training, but one thing interesting about the Braves, we have two catchers on our staff, Manager Wyatt Tarragas, a former catcher, and Einar Diaz, a former catcher in the big leagues as well. So he has two really nice resources to uh, to talk to uh, as well. But going through our, our roster real quick, Justin Dean, you mentioned speed. Justin Dean is the leadoff man on this team. He stole 47 bases for the Rome Braves in 2019. He's still one of those base-stealing guys, and he's got some power, too. He hit a couple of home runs. I heard in minor league spring training, he had nine home runs in 2019, so he adds that dimension of power-speed combo. But you go down the lineup, you have Braden Shoemake, who's back, former 21st overall pick in 2019 as your shortstop. Third baseman C.J. Alexander, who just was never healthy really fully in 2019, getting now a little bit of some time to recover. Jalen Miller, someone who's bounced around, been a part of uh, a couple of different organizations in your outfield. Jeffrey Ramos, who has done nothing but hit and hit for power everywhere he's been. Dean in center field and then Trey Harris in right. You have Tyler Nesloni, who's a holdover, who's been here since 2017. Grayson Jenista, who's now playing first base, moving in from the outfield. And a pitching staff that has a lot of new guys. Hayden Deal, you'll see. On opening day, works extremely fast, I hear. I'm glad you warned me. Yeah, extremely fast, but mixes pitches well. Not necessarily going to overpower you, but he's uh, also, by the way, last year he worked at a gun range in his offseason, and uh, he was able to uh, experiment with some guns last year. So nobody better mess with him uh, this year as well. But I really like this Embrace braves team. It's got a lot. In the rotation, when you look at Victor Vodnik, you look at Odalvi Javier, and then Nolan King, who had four complete games back in that 2019 season, it really has a lot uh, to like about it. But we've gone on a little bit too long now, and it's been over 30 minutes, so let's uh, let's wrap it up. Chris Garagiola, the voice of the Pensacola Blue Chris Harris, the voice of the Mississippi Braves. No baseball on opening night, but we put together a podcast, and... Uh, it's actually 629 right now we're at the field overcast nice but there was a lot of damage in the area including our, our box office manager uh, had a tree it sounded like fell on his house so um, you know we'll try to do it again tomorrow and a lot of baseball left to be played this season but Chris thanks for uh, joining the big Show podcast I'm sure it will not be your last appearance on the Big Show podcast. Yeah.
1: Appreciate you having me. Thanks so
0: much. That'll do it. We'll come back and have opening night on Wednesday. For all things M-Braves, you can log on to mississippibraze.com. Twitter handle?
1: At Chris Garagiola.
0: I'm at C-Harris731. And for that, we say good night from Pearl, Mississippi.